The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Tonight, we get to hear about another person in the Old Testament, the person of David. Um, and I'm really excited about the people that are sharing it. Um, Hannah and Teresa are actually in my core group. Uh, yeah, I know. And I know I don't, I don't have a favorite student. You know, I mean, I love you all the same. You're awesome. But if I were maybe to have a favorite student... I don't know, they'd be up there. So um, anyways, I'm really excited about what they have to share with you about David and his life and his relationship with God. So please welcome up Hannah and Teresa. Thank you. So I guess before we begin... Um, I'll introduce myself. I'm Hannah. And I'm Teresa. And we're both seniors here at the University of Washington. Go dogs! Great. Um, so I think since we're talking about David, a good place to start talking about him would be at the beginning of his life. Uh, and to give a quick backstory of what's really going on, uh, the nation of Israel just got his first king. Uh, And God had appointed this stud of a guy named Saul uh, to rule the nation. And the Bible describes Saul as being tall and super attractive. Uh, It literally says, there is not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. Uh, But unfortunately, you can't always judge a book by its cover. And as much as Saul looked like a king, he really didn't act like a king of Israel should. He made rash decisions, had great anxiety, and continually disobeyed God. So, God sent the, Samuel, or God sent the prophet Samuel uh, to find a new king of Israel. And he led him to a house where a man named Jesse lived with eight of his sons. And God had already chosen one of those sons to be the next king of Israel. So we'll pick up the story uh, at 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. Uh, which says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, which is one of Jesse's sons, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Jesse, Are these all your sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for David and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Okay, so from these verses, we can learn some quick facts about David. One, he's the youngest uh, out of eight brothers. He's a shepherd, meaning that some of his best friends were sheep. Um, uh, 
only like 13 years old, and now he's going to be the next king of Israel. This would have been seen as a radical move by God. Back then, only the oldest had the rights to most of the inheritance, and the youngest son would have only got whatever was left over. Furthermore, in that culture, being a shepherd was one of the lowliest jobs that you could have. No one would have expected the king to be a young shepherd boy. This would like, be if uh, the next president was predicted to be a 13-year-old janitor, uh, which is crazy, but that's just how God works. He takes the lowly and he puts them in a place of importance. He seeks the ordinary and he gives them purpose, and in this case, he seeks out a young shepherd boy and makes him a king. God doesn't work like the world does, and he doesn't care about the externalities that we get so wrapped up in. He doesn't care about where you're from, what your letters are, what your major is, um, what you look like, or even what people think of you. He cares about you, and he chose you to be a part of his plan. Uh, David accepted God's call, and his heart reflected that. He went on to do crazy awesome stuff, like killing a giant, winning lots of battles, and even more. Uh, Teresa will share a psalm that he even wrote. Thanks, Anna. Um, so learning about David's story was super cool. Um, it surprised me to discover that many of the people in the Bible were able to have the freedom to be themselves, to ask hard questions, to be honest with who they are, um, all to be completely present in the presence of God. They laid it all on the table. And all of this is true of David. Um, he wrote many songs, psalms, and um, through his psalms we learn a lot about him, and we learn more about him than we know about anyone else's scripture, because we hear about a, lot, a lot about his internal life. Um, and I think that's really cool that we can know so much about him, and I think to really fully understand David, we need to look at his psalms. Um, so we learn through his psalms and through Hannah that God, um, God is for the lowly, and for the oppressed, for the marginalized, and God will do amazing things like raise up the unexpected, like an eighth-born um, son named David, whose best friends were sheep. Who would have known? David, soon be, David became known as a king after God's own heart. So Psalm 21 is going to be up there, and I'm going to read it. The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great in his joy in the victories you give. You have granted him his heart, desire, and have not withheld the request of his lips. You came to greet him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life, and you gave it to him. Length of the days, forever and ever. Through the victories you gave, his glory is great, and you have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. Through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken. So much of David's identity was based on God being with him in the past, being with him in the future, and being present with him. Um, and the, the encouragement that we can take from the Psalms and the early parts of David's life and relationship with God is his constant engagement. He had um, open eyes to see and open ears to hear what God had in plan for his own life and for the world. So now Hannah's going to go t tell us about the second half of David's life, which isn't quite as uplifting as the first half. Thanks, Teresa. So as she said earlier, and as it says in the Bible, God refers to David as a man after God's own heart, which is a crazy big deal if God's saying that about you. Um, and we see that David grew up to be this incredible king and is still known to this day as one of the greatest kings in all of Israel's history. We can see that throughout his life, God continually blessed David with masses of land, victories in battle, and riches beyond belief. And through all of that, David was able to remain in a steadfast relationship with God. But 
Among all this glory and success, David ha also had immense brokenness and failure. Uh, I mean, to begin with, David's family life could literally be a script of Game of Thrones. Um, yeah, I think I have a photo up there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, this is my favorite character, Daenerys Targaryen of the House Targaryen. Uh, she's Queen of Marine, prote protector of the realm, and mother of dragons. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anybody watch the last episode? Yeah, yeah, it's really good. You should all watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, okay, so obviously not all of you guys are Game of Thrones fans, and you're probably wondering, okay, so what does David's life have to do with this weird graphic TV show? Um, well, to answer you, I make this comparison because David's uh, life had a lot of weird graphic stuff going on in it. Uh, so I present to you season two, episode three of Game of Biblical Thrones. Uh, and in this episode, one of David's sons becomes obsessed with his half-sister and commits incest with her. Yeah. Um, but after that happens, uh, his obsession turns into hate and she's forced to live a life of solitude and loneliness. Yeah, sad. Um, but then this chick's full brother, Absalom, finds out about this and is like, what? That's so messed up. Uh, and Absalom then plots and straight up assassinates uh, the brother who committed incest with his sister and then runs away to save his life. The Bible says that when David learns about all this that had happened, he literally tore his garments and laid on the ground. Uh, back then, tearing your clothes was a sign of complete and utter grief. Uh, David was distraught, and rightly so. Uh, but this is just one episode of his life, uh, but we can already see the pain and complexity that exists in his family. And not only that, if the book of 2 Samuel really was a TV season, the episode before this would have depicted David sleeping with his top general, Uriah's wife, um, her name was Bathsheba, impregnating her and then killing Uriah, uh, to cover up his shame. And then the child that Bathsheba was pregnant with uh, would have died as a result of that. And then later in the season, we would have learned that Absalom, David's son who avenged his sister's honor, comes back to the kingdom only to take away the throne from David, forcing him to run away. There are literally stories upon stories in here about the confusion and brokenness that existed in David's life. Um, I mean, when you look at these, you'd never say, Wow, what a great guy. He lived a perfect life. He had it all together. But David had been chosen and anointed by God, and his life was still far from perfect. If you were like me when I read through these stories, you'd see a person who went through seasons of guilt, heartache, frustration, depression, and uncertainty. So I guess you might be thinking, why is David called a man after God's own heart? Uh, and it was because through it all, David knew that God was still with him and that he knew that he could still be with God. Despite all his brokenness, David continued to look to God for strength and find hope in the knowledge that God is still faithful in the good and bad seasons of life. And the Psalms are filled with David's prayers, cries, and thankfulness to God. We can read in the Bible that David weeps and cries to God after tragic event, after tragic event, after tragic event. And God is with us in our brokenness. And David's recognition of that is what made him a man after God's own heart. Teresa will share another psalm that goes with this. Cool. Thanks. So David's life was a whirlwind of brokenness, shame, 
he was full, it was full of suffering. He was um, in a lot of pain and grief. Um, when I was in high school, I dated a guy throughout high school and some college, so we were together for a long time. Um, and through that time, a lot of our relationships became um, not as important that were outside of our relationship together, and we kind of just focused on each other. Um, my freshman year of college, we ended up breaking up. Um, and um, it was like the turkey drop, you know, the Thanksgiving end of high school relationship. It was that classic thing. Um, but after that, um, I was full of brokenness and shame and guilt that I just completely walked away from God and just kind of stepped away. Um, and in this point in David's life and what we learned about him, it would have been easy for him to just walk away, but that's the opposite of what he did. He let it draw it closer to God. Um, and Psalm 51 is an amazing example of remorse, confession, complete brokenness, and humility before God so that God might forgive, grant grace, and heal. So I'm going to read Psalm 51. Um, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful at the time my mother conceived me, yet do you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place, in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me.